ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Welcome to Nightlife, the first hour. This is Nightlife and you are with Rod Quinn on ABC Radio and it is time for our first hour this morning and, uh, or this evening I should say, and that is about giving up drinking. A week or so ago on Nightlife we talked about giving up smoking, how difficult it is and how good it is for your health when you do give it up. Tonight it's giving up drinking, which is possibly even more difficult to do, but it's an addiction we know a lot more about and one that has plenty of help available if it's something that you want or need to do. For most of us, we can have a drink or two or more and stop at that. But for some, it's the old saying, one's too many and a hundred's not enough. You don't need to be an alcoholic to want to stop drinking, though. Maybe it's about saving money or getting fit and healthy. Recent data reveals that nearly 20, 000, sorry, 20%, 20% of Australians are looking to decrease their alcohol consumption. So how do we make that happen? Our guests tonight are Dr Nicole Lee, CEO at 360 Edge, a prominent Australian alcohol and drug consultancy, and she is also a professor at Curtin University's National Drug Institute. Dr Lee serves on the Australian National Advisory Council on Alcohol and Other Drugs, provides advice to the Department of Veterans Affairs, and is CEO of Hello Sunday Morning, an organisation dedicated to helping people who want to change their relationship with alcohol. Dr. Lee, a very good evening and welcome to Nightlife. Good evening, Rod. Thanks for having me. We also have a very special guest, uh, historian and novelist Professor Ross Fitzgerald, Emeritus Professor of History and Politics at Griffith University and who is celebrating 54 years of sobriety. Professor Fitzgerald battled alcoholism and drug addiction from the age of 14 until he turned his life around at 24. Since then, he's been sober drug-free and an active member of Alcoholics Anonymous, still attending meetings today. Notably, he drank and got sober with Barry Humphreys, a colleague and good friend of his, sharing his journey in two books on his alcohol experience. The most recent one is called My Last Drink, 32 Stories of Recovering Alcoholics. Professor, a very good evening and welcome to Nightlife. Good to talk with you, Rod. We'll get back to you in a moment, and you might want to put your headphones on so that you can hear Dr. Nicole Lee as well. Dr. Lee, let's start with you. Those stats I mentioned, 20% of Australians want to drink less. Who are those 20%? Oh, well, they're right across the spectrum. They're, they're people who um, are drinking, who think they're drinking too much or maybe even dependent, and they're trying to quit or cut back. But also there's a a number of people who just want to be healthier. Um, Many people find that alcohol increases their anxiety. um, And so they often will want to give up just um, to get rid of some of those unwanted um, feelings. Those 20% or that 20%, what, how many of them do you think are alcoholics or how many are people who just want to give up drinking or drink a lot less? Yeah, we don't actually know for sure. But what we do know is that about 25% of Australians drink at risky levels. So that's over the national guidelines. Um, and about 6% are um, dependent on alcohol. So a sizable proportion of people wanting to quit will probably come from that group. Um, but certainly right across the spectrum, um, I, I have 
um, treated people and also I have friends who don't really drink that much. They drink within the recommended um, levels, but they still um, have uh, made attempts to give up and some of them uh, have quit alcohol altogether. How would you describe the current drinking culture in Australia and is it changing? Well, it is... um, We certainly do have a drinking culture um, and we've got a big drinking culture. So it's, it's seen as quite normal to get, to drink so much that you get drunk and you're intoxicated. Um, But over the past 15, 20 years or more, um, we've certainly made inroads into uh, reducing the number of people who drink at risky levels. We'll talk to uh, Ross Fitzgerald in a moment. There's a text message that says, uh, to give up drinking, it's easy, just stop. Is that right, do you think, Ross? So let's talk to you first. When someone says, it's easy to stop drinking, just stop, really there's only one way to stop drinking, and that is to stop drinking, but it's how you go about it, isn't it? Well, it's extremely difficult for an alcoholic to stop, and usually uh, over the long term, the only way is with help, that the isolated exercise of the will almost never works and that's why as you say like for an alcoholic like me one drink is too many and a hundred's not enough but I'm one of those many people who needed help in order to stop drinking and I still need help in order to stay stopped so as you say I go to two or three meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous a week for two main reasons. One, if I stopped going deliberately, I'd almost certainly drink again. And most people uh, don't, re- don't understand that. But the only time I ever tried to stop drinking on my own, I lasted a half an hour. And I wasn't a young man going places. I'd been sacked from two universities here in Australia when you had to interfere with the vice chancellor's dog to get sacked, but they sacked me twice. And I finished up in Cleveland, Ohio. And uh, if you added up all the time I was in the one mental hospital, always for alcoholism and drug addiction, uh, in the three years I was hospitalised for a year and a half. But because of the strange illness that alcoholism is, there was one thought that never entered my mind until the very day I came across AA, and that was to do anything about my drinking. So what does Alcoholics Anonymous actually do? You say you go three times a week. Two or three times a week. And if you didn't go, you would be drinking. What happens at those meetings, which most people never go to? What happens that makes you stop? Well, and by the way, most meetings of AA are available to the general public. But really, the formula is that we talk about what we used to be like, what happened and what we're like now. So that we, so that new people and and people who've been around for a long time, can identify themselves as alcoholics and realise there's a way, there's a way in order to stop drinking. And AA is by far the most successful agency in the world to stop uh, for alcoholics to stop drinking. There was a very important book called The Natural History of Alcoholism by Professor George Valiant from Harvard University. <clears throat> and he did this long, long-term, longitudinal study of thousands of Americans from the age of 18 over 35 years. And that showed in the long term, AA's got the numbers. 
And then he, he, 15 years later, he wrote The Natural History of Alcoholism Revisited. So a lot of people say there's not evidence that AA works, but there is that evidence. You are there and you are living proof that it does work. I am indeed. Mm. And uh, I often say at AA, you don't have to like me, but I'm a remarkable example of what AA can do to someone who was so damaged because... I was drinking all day and all night. I was taking up to 15 barbiturates a day. You know, I had a lot of shock therapy. I was very, very ill. Broken Hill Jack once said to me, oh, you're a very sick boy, laddie. And I couldn't use the word man about myself until I was about four years sober when I met my darling wife, Lyndall Moore. And you met her at an AA meeting. Yes, through Barry Humphreys. Mm. We'll get back to that in a moment. Ross Fitzgerald's our guest. Dr Nicole Lee is with us as well. Doctor, what uh, Ross is saying, he's talking about uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. What are the other methods that people are using or can use if they are serious about giving up drinking? Yeah, there's a there's an enormous number now of um, different options um, because we know there's no one size fits all. Um, and when AA was developed in the in the 1930s, so like close to 90 years ago now, um, we didn't know very much about the brain. We didn't know very much about the role of learning in um, in problem drinking, and we didn't have any research into what was effective. And so AA at the time was um, the gold standard in treatment, but we've moved along quite a way um, since then. Uh, and for the for we know that for the people um, that it does work for, AA is fantastic, but there's a, a large group of people that it's not effective for. The dropout rate is really high and um, the success rate is fairly low. So in that intervening time, we've developed a whole range of other um, options for people. One of them's Hello Sunday Morning, which is the organisation, the charity that I um, run, and that... Um, that service is uh, a, an enormous support community uh, called Daybreak that you can just access on your phone uh, through an app and there'd be there's thousands of people online at any one time and you can get support and help and tips. But there's a whole range of other things like uh, a great organisation called Smart Recovery. They were set up as an alternative to AA for the people that... Um, AA didn't work for, uh, and they they provide a structured peer support uh, network. That um, the fantastic thing about them is that there's a, a lot of research associated with it. They've been doing they've been working really hard to show their outcomes, and we know that they're really right. effective. Um, and then there's the whole treatment sector. So um, you could go to an alcohol and drug service, you could go to a psychologist, you could go to a GP if um, you needed that extra help to stop. Ross, obviously AA works for you. It doesn't work for everyone, as Nicole said. But um, what about some of the other things? Did you try other uh, methods as well? No, no. Uh, as I said, it, I it never occurred to me to do anything about my drinking until the very day that I got sent to AA. Mm. Now, I was on the parole board in Queensland and here in New South Wales for about 35 years, and my experience is that smart recovery, while it's helpful for problem drinkers, isn't really very helpful for alcoholics. And it's certainly true 
that it's extremely difficult for an alcoholic person to stop drinking and stay stopped. But as I've said, AA's got the numbers. Uh, and it's very important that people understand that it is the most successful agency in enabling alcoholic men and women and others. Mm. So to... what's the difference between an alcoholic and a problem drinker in your mind? Well, in my mind, I, people ask me, how do I know I'm an alcoholic? And I say, well, I suggest you ask yourself two questions. If after, uh, if after starting drinking, do you behave in ways that cause you shame and remorse and guilt? And secondly, if after drinking, do you, do you ever experience periods of amnesia, uh, al- uh, alcoholic amnesia? And if you answer yes to both of those questions, you're almost certainly an alcoholic. But in general terms, it's useful to ask yourself, is alcohol costing you more than money? Nicole, do you see the same difference between a problem drinker and an alcoholic that Ross has just explained? Yeah, that's it. Um, what Ross described is um, a very AA philosophy about um, drinking, but we tend now to think of alcohol problems along a continuum and um, it's less kind of all or nothing like it used to be. Um, so uh, to me, there's there's not a, a, a big difference between someone who's uh, what Ross would call a problem drinker um, compared to an alcoholic. It's just all, all along a spectrum. Okay. And in fact, um, you know, if you just think about how many New Year's resolutions you've made and not stuck to, any type of change is really difficult. Um, and the more the more dependent you are on alcohol, um, the more difficult it will be to give up. But it's also very difficult for people in that middle part of the spectrum sure. as well. But problem, but problem drinkers don't usually behave in ways that cause themselves and their families great great upset and shame and remorse. But it is on that spectrum. They may do it, or on that continuum, they may do it to a lesser degree than somebody who is an alcoholic, I That's suppose. right. Yes, but the, but the problem with, with us as alcoholics is if you pick up the first drink, you're, you'll eventually get out of control. So mm. the only long-term way for an alcoholic to stay sober uh, is through help. And AA... Uh, is by far the most successful. Okay. I'll just ask Nicole, though, also, when you stop drinking, can you gradually drink less or do you have to go cold turkey? Do you have to just say, right, that is my last drink? And, you know, Ross has uh, got that book, My Last Drink, 32 Stories of Recovering Alcoholics. They all know when their last drink was. Can you gradually drink less? Or if you're an alcoholic or a problem drinker, that's never going to happen? So what... What works depends on two things, how much you drink and um, how motivated you are to stop or how many resources, how much internal resources you have to stop drinking. So if you're very dependent, um, which is what Ross is calling an alcoholic, um, but these days we probably use the more clinical term of um, dependence. If you're dependent, then... um, we generally recommend um, at least a period of abstinence, if not lifelong abstinence, um, because the the risk of relapse is pretty high. So you can't just say, right, I'm going to have 
three today, two tomorrow, one the day after that, and then I'm going to stop. No, that is possible to okay. do that, and many people do um, do kind of gradually ease off it, and maybe even ease off it over a long period of time. Like but they've got to have that months. willpower, though. Yeah, it is very difficult to you know any change is difficult, and it's difficult to keep on track without the right support. These days we've got dry January, parch March, dry July, October. There's barely a month you can actually have a drink. Uh, do those things actually work, do you think, uh, Nicole? Um, there's no evidence that they um, have any long-term impact on people's drinking. And, in fact, about 30% of people don't even finish the month um, with the month that they uh, try to stop. Right, okay. um, but any period of... Uh, that you're alcohol-free is good for your health. So in that sense, um, even taking a couple of weeks off can be really beneficial for most okay. people. And this question I'd like to get an answer from you, Nicole, but I'll first direct it to Ross because one of our texters says, my niece is only 14 years old and a heavy drinker. She's so bad she's drinking hand sanitizer. There is a huge gap in support programs for a child. Ross, you started drinking when you were 14, didn't you? Yes. If I hadn't have started drinking when I was 14 years and a, and a month, I probably would have suicided by the time I was 17. Alcohol never made me feel as good as other people, but it held down the pain of being myself for a while. But in my experience, alcoholism is a progressive illness and if I hadn't have stopped uh, drinking alcohol and using other mood-changing drugs on Australia Day 1970, I wouldn't have made 1971. So there's Al-Anon, Alateen, there's all, there yeah. are organisations for young people and the families of uh, young people as well, aren't they? What do you know about them? Ross? Oh, they're very, uh, very helpful, uh, Alateen and, and Al-Anon, for the partners and children of, of, of alcoholics. They're, they're extremely helpful. What would you say, though? Or... And I should mention yep. that uh, a couple of my close friends in AA got sober when they were 16. So what about someone who's 14, a 14-year-old girl drinking? Do you have to... Well, we'll ask Nicole about this. Do you have to find out why she's doing it in the first place, do you think, Nicole? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we we sometimes see alcohol as a problem, but as Ross alluded to, um, the, the people with the alcohol problems often see it as a solution to a different problem. Um, and someone that young, um, drinking that heavily... I would think needs um, some uh, some more intensive medical support from a mental health service or a drug and alcohol service for youth. I mean, the story also is always goes, you know, the person has got to have to want to change. Is that also the case, that uh, when you're 14 and drinking, I mean, you're probably not doing it because you're enjoying it. You're doing it for some other reason. You are going to have to want to change that behaviour or, you know, have some mental health issues looked at as well. Yeah, that that's quite possibly the case. And and that's one of the things that we've learnt in the, in the last 90 years or so um, is the role of motivation and how we can um, support motivation to change and support people to make changes actually even if they initially don't want to. And that's one of the things that um, AA is really great at, that um, you know they encourage people to come to meetings 
just to check it out. You don't have to do anything. Just come to a meeting and see what it's like. And and um, many people find that um, kind of support helpful. Right, it's act- AA is actually the closest thing to peaceful anarchism in action because there are no rules, there are no bosses, nobody can be kicked out. The only requirement for membership is a desire, however slim, to do something about one's drinking. Well, we've got Tim on the line as well. Hello, Tim. Um, I think they might have got my name wrong. Is, 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 my name's Matt. Are you talking to me? Yes, I am. Oh, yeah, mate. Um, look, I just wanted to say, look, um, I'm an addict, been in and out of prison, uh, the whole lot, uh, addict for uh, 40-odd years, nearly 40 years. Um, and um, I'm on my way to an NA meeting right now, to tell you the truth. Yep. I, um, I just wanted to tell you that I, I, I've done both. I've also been, been an AOD counsellor and been on the board of a rehab, uh, the board of directors. And I must tell you that what the 12-step groups provide that Smart Recovery doesn't provide is a means to not just get clean and sober, but to become emotionally mature, to regain the years that you've lost of maturity. It offers a program for life. Smart Recovery, you go to the meetings. Each week you set new goals. The goal might be um, pay your bills on time or uh, cut down on drinking or stop drinking or whatever it might be, but it doesn't offer you the same program for life that that changes everything else about yourself. I used to be, I used to be a right little fascist. I used to be racist and sexist and just a horrible human being because I was immature and angry. And I think if I'd have gone to smart recovery, I might have changed my drinking or my drugging, but I don't think I would have became. Um, I, I would still be what what they call a dry drunk, um, or or. Uh, so, most definitely, NA and AA aren't for everybody. I understand that. But by, by far, NA and AA offer so much more than Smart Recovery. Smart Recovery is put on by Palmerston. It's a great little alternative, but it's certainly no match to NA or AA. NA and AA far, okay. are far, right. far greater programs for recovery. All right. Well, we'll let you get to that meeting, and thank you very much for that, Tim. Uh, 1-300-800-222. You can text 0467-922-702. Other people suggesting the Clean Slate Clinic, and uh, somebody else has suggested an online program, This Naked Mind with Annie Grace. Uh, Nicole Lee is our guest from um, Curtin University's National Drug Research Institute. Uh, have you heard of those, or are you able to tell us a little bit about those programs? I don't know about this Naked Mind, but I do know about Clean Slate Clinic, um, and they provide uh, te- telehealth, I guess, and essentially um, detox and withdrawal, and um, then post-detox uh support for about a year and um, they have a, a very good success rate and it's like like AA and NA um, it it can be helpful to be uh, kind of a bit anonymous I suppose because of all the stigma that's uh, attached to um, having an alcohol problem and some of those online and telehealth and things like smart recovery online, um, Hello Sunday Morning, uh, Sober in the Country and Clean Slate um, can offer uh, something that the bricks and mortar services don't offer. We'll get back to Professor 
uh, Rossford still in a moment. But one other one I wanted to ask about because of a text message. Uh, Jan says, does AA work in Indigenous communities with alcohol-addicted people? What about what are we doing for our Indigenous people who have terrible problems with alcohol? So um, Ross can probably answer that. Uh, better than I can, but I do know that Smart Recovery has a special, um, a specialist uh, okay. a- Aboriginal program, um, and we and we are more uh, kind of cognizant of um, the the different um, needs of people from Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander backgrounds, and so there are special programs for them. All right, AA is very successful with Indigenous people. There's a place called the Glen. Where, where a whole lot, lot of Indigenous people get sober. I might add, though, that in some of the big outstations in North Queensland, if one of the aunties joins AA, the whole clan does. <laughs> well, that's a good thing as well. Um, Helen in Geelong wants to know, she's saying that her son-in-law has given up alcohol by drinking non-alcoholic beer. What do you think about that, Nicole? Yeah, that's a that's an interesting one because that um, really is a very very recent phenomenon. We've had um, zero alcohol beers for a long time, but most people um, in the past have found them not to really taste like beer. And but now there's a, a proliferation of these zero alcohol um, beverages. So it's a bit of a tricky one because for people who um, have problems with alcohol or who are dependent on it, um, they now taste enough like. Um, the alcoholic versions to trigger relapse. So I don't generally recommend them for people who have a drinking problem. But for people who are trying to cut down, um, who um, may be risky drinkers or low-risk drinkers who are trying to cut down, they're great because they allow you to... um, Just bear with me for a moment. I'm sorry, Nicole. We just have to stop for a moment, pause to welcome our friends in South Australia and the Northern Territory who are joining us live here on Nightlife. We're talking about giving up drinking with uh, Nicole Lee. She is uh, Dr. Nicole Lee, a CEO at 360 Edge, an Australian alcohol and drug consultancy, also a professor at Curtin University's National Drug Research Institute and plenty of other places as well. And Ross Fitzgerald, Emeritus Professor of History and Politics at Griffith University, but who has been sober for 54 years. Uh, and Nicole was just uh, telling us about a couple of other things. Uh, Nicole, did you want to uh, wrap that up? Uh, just the, on the zero alcohol um, drinks, beverages, yes. um, yeah, it, the upshot is that they're great for people um, who who don't have significant problems with alcohol but are trying to cut down, okay. they're less good for people with um, problems because they t- they can trigger off um, yes, okay. drinking uh, the alcoholic versions of drinks. Yes, Nicole's right. absolutely right about that, that zero alcohol drinks are uh, of no help to alcoholics uh, who want to stay sober. There are quite a few misconceptions right about AA like many people say, well, it's a, it's a religious program, but I'm one of the many atheists in Alcoholics Anonymous. There's, but you do have to give over to a higher power, is that right? You don't have to do anything. Okay. The 12 steps and the 12 traditions are only suggested. Um, <clears throat> a power greater than myself brought me into AA, okay. and that was the power of alcohol and other drugs. Okay, fair enough. And AA is uh, is a... Is, I I couldn't stay sober, and most alcoholics over the long term can't stay sober through willpower, through an isolated exercise of the will. 
Um, Nicole, we've got a really interesting text who says, could we please talk about the health implications of drinking heavily and stopping cold turkey? What happens when your body is used to having all this alcohol and then all of a sudden you stop? Yeah, if you're um, moderately to severely dependent, um, particularly if you're at the very severe end of dependence, so you're drinking every day and drinking a lot every day, and when you stop, you get uh, significant withdrawal symptoms like um, the shakes and um, feeling nauseous. Um, that can be quite dangerous um, just to go cold turkey. And if you wanted to do that, um, I would recommend uh, seeking medical help, going to a withdrawal detox service or um, talking to your GP first before you do that. Um, but even people who are not problem drinkers but maybe drinking every day at lower levels, um, they can also feel some uncomfortable symptoms. So people report often um, quite severe headaches for a few days after. They may feel a little bit nauseous. Their sleep would be disturbed. But if they ride through that, uh, it might take a week or two, um, but if they can ride through that, then um, those symptoms will go away. Okay. People die from withdrawal from alcohol they do, than, withdrawal, yes. when, than withdrawal from heroin. Yes, it's quite dangerous to um, if you're heavily dependent mm. to just give up quickly, uh, give up um, cold turkey right, because okay. uh, some people do have very and, severe and a lot of us suffer from delirium tremens and uh, uh, and one of the side effects of of, uh, of chronic alcoholism is Korsakoff psychosis, which is generally called a wet brain. And once you slip over into that, there's no coming back. So for, for people who say just stop drinking, that is not necessarily the solution. Let's talk to uh, Brian. G'day, Brian. Good evening. Yes, Brian. You have also been drinking since you were 14. 14 and a half when I left school, yes. And I come from a, a family of eight, eight kids and, and just a working class family. And uh, it just mentioned a while ago about willpower. That you hit the nail on the head. It's about willpower. Now I still drink, and uh, I've drank all my life. I've, I've raised three kids. I got married at 19, and the wife was 18. And uh, um, I own two houses, and uh, I've got a, a good super. But I had a very poor education because I was. Uh, that's how I was when I was young. I, you know, I just couldn't take things. I was always a worker. Seven days a week and blah blah blah. But uh, I, I'm, I now drink uh, on average uh, six uh, uh, beers a, a night. So you, um, do you don't consider yourself an alcoholic? I certainly don't. Hmm, okay. I certainly don't. But uh, well, I, I had a, I've had uh, friends and that that they reckon they were alcoholics and this that and the other. Well, I don't know that. I, I, I'm, I'm not a. Um, I don't sit down the pubs and drink. I have me drinks at home. The hmm. wife has a few enjoy it. But I'm coming up to 73 years of age. I've got another one health issue. I've, I've, I've never had a speeding find or a dr- right. drunken find or anything like that. How's your liver, Brian? Well, I haven't asked it, but I, I haven't had any trouble with it. Okay, you might want to get it checked out. Um, yeah. Ross, any thoughts on what Brian's saying? Well, yeah, Brian's Brian, not an alcoholic. No, He's I'm just going to say yeah. but Brian's a, 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 a classical example of someone who may have been a problem drinker, um, but is not an alcoholic. And he's someone that willpower can work for. But but as I've said, willpower, isolated will uh, over the long term doesn't work for most alcoholics. But Brian, you wouldn't consider yourself a problem drinker either. 
Absolutely not. I could stop. I could go without. I, I, you know, the times that I've gone for a week when I've had some sickness or something, or for some reason we were travelling or something, and I had a lot of driving to do, it's not a problem at all. But uh, and but I just have them when I want to have them. I can have them. I never start before say five or six o'clock at night, and then I never probably eight o'clock. I never. I, I go to bed at say nine o'clock, and I, I get up at five in the morning. And, I, and, and I've never had a hang, what you're hangover, you're saying. Oh, early days I did, not now. I don't get a hangover. I, I, and um, I, I've got no health issues. And, um, All right, okay. Well, well uh, enjoy that uh, drinks then, uh, Brian. You're very lucky that some people would love to be in your situation. Nicole, do you come across people like Brian who can just drink, doesn't affect them really? It might be doing some damage to their liver after such a long period of time, but they don't become problem drinkers, they don't become alcoholics. Yeah, I mean, I think um, what Brian's describing is not uncommon that even people, we know now that even people who um, have quite severe problems with alcohol can actually return to social drinking. Um, and people who, um, the earlier you start drinking, the more likely you are to have problems. But even people who start early can kind of curb that um, uh, in their 20s yeah, okay. and, and, and just return to social drinking. Bruce is with us in London, Derry. Good day, Bruce. How are you going? Um, I've been uh, mixed up with AA over a number of years. I, I am an alcoholic. Once I start, I can't stop. More, what's typically known as a binge drinker. Um, I've been mixed up with it. And the, the gentleman is is has his views, but to me it's like I've I've been when I've been mixed up with AAs, it's you have the indoctrinated and, and everything like there are many ways to have a go at it and, and do everything. I more was wanted to ring up and talk about um, in the early days and literature that I've read and heard is that even in the early days of LSD had a had a remarkable um cessation rate or a rate of, of people coming out of, of alcoholism. It's a bit like the hallucinogenics of today that are now coming back into yes. into flavour. Um, and it was Ronnie Reagan or Reagan that just declared war on every drug, whether it was good or not, but just stopped it and even uh, stopped even the, the, the looking into the goodness of some drugs that yeah. were helpful to 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 a lot of people, um, and and yes, I've I've you know if I, I'm not trying to be uh, against AA, it works for for some people, not all. But I fa- I even found some of the meetings as clicky as because oh we've been sober for so long, you're mm. new, you know nothing, and want to. Okay. All right, Brian, yeah, Bruce, I appreciate that. Yep. Thank you very, very much. As we pointed out, some things work for some people, some work for others. And like any group, there's going to be clicks in it, isn't it, uh, Russ? Yes, but uh, fortunately there are no rules and there are no bosses and nobody can be kicked out of AA. Michael in Caloundra is with us as well. Hello, Michael. Oh, hi there. Yeah, just uh, my lady's grandfather... At the age of 40, he was told he didn't have long to live because he'd been uh, heavily drinking. Anyway, um, uh, his daughter stopped him from buying alcohol, so he turned to methylated spirits and honey. 
Mm. And he did that for years, ended up just before he died in his 80s of natural causes. He completely stopped alcohol, just stopped everything altogether. Mm. And uh, they did an autopsy and found there was nothing wrong with him. I don't know how that's the case if uh, you do uh, nothing but drink methylated spirits for many years. Nicole, does that sound right to you? Uh, look, everybody is different, but that would be a very, very small percentage of people who could drink like that and not have any impact on their body. Okay. One of our texters says, my husband was addicted to non-alcoholic wine. He had three bottles a day. Found it was cheaper to drink alcoholic wine. Died 12 months after changing to the alcoholic version due to the complications from alcohol abuse. Um I've been drinking daily for 40 years. I'm a high-functioning alcoholic. I've never missed work and have a very good lifestyle and multi-million dollar financial position. I'm very religious. So how does high-functioning alcoholism work, Nicole? Um, there's there's quite a, a lot of people who would be um, daily drinkers. So if you drink every day, um, you're quite likely to have at least a mild to moderate um, dependence on alcohol um, just because of the way uh, alcohol works in your body. Um, but there's uh, there's a sizable proportion of people who uh, drink um, at at levels that would um, indicate they were dependent but are still uh, functioning perfectly. So it's not really affecting um, their work or their, um, their relationships or their social life yeah. at all. Um, and that's, I think that's one of the things um, that I, one of the things I usually say to people um, when they're asking, like, should I give up or, or not, or should I cut down or not, is uh, one of the factors to consider is whether it's impacting on your life. But I think um, drinking at that kind of level, daily drinking and drinking quite a lot, um, will eventually have some impact on your health. And so um, we know that, um, you know, uh, that alcohol is directly related to a whole range of um, diseases yes. that people get when they're older, including, you know, heart disease and cancer and type 2 diabetes and um, a whole range of other things. So yeah. Yeah. something may, else it, I want to ask you about, that, about giving up, though, if I can ask that, is that one of the things we talked about when we were talking about giving up smoking was shaming someone into giving them up is not going to work. That's, I presume, the same with alcohol, with drinking, that you can't shame someone. And this is the whole way that Alcoholics Anonymous uh, works as a collaborative support program. And that's why, for many people, AA works. Whereas if you went to a meeting where you were shamed for drinking, that's not going to work, is it? Nicole, any no, that No, um, shaming, punishment... Um, negative reinforcement, none of those things are effective. They're not effective for giving up alcohol and they're not effective for changing any type of behaviour. So, no, certainly um, that's unhelpful um, to, yeah. to people trying to give up. All right. One of our texters uh, says, I'm fine until I have one beer. If I have one, I'll empty the fridge. Ross, that's something that's familiar to you, isn't it? Certainly. One's too many and a hundred is not enough. What happened then? Tell me, like, let's go back to that first day when you walked into a pub at the age of 14 in your school uniform. I think the, uh, the barman says you better take that school cap off. But he served you, did he? Well, he was a drag queen called Maisie's and I was 14 years and a month. And uh, my old man played football for Collingwood, a very tough man, but he never drank a teaspoonful because his father 
destroyed the family and the business. But I'd heard a brandy lime and soda was an exotic drink, so I said, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning, I said, could I have a brandy lime and soda, please? And Maisie said, yes, darling, but take your school cap off. (laughs) Now, this is in the 1950s, is it? Yes, yes. And did you become an alcoholic? I mean, you were an alcoholic before that, even though you hadn't had a drink. I presume that's how you see it. Yes. Well, well, I drank alcoholically from the beginning. Uh, But, I mean, but you were an alcoholic. You just didn't know it because you hadn't drunk alcohol. Yes. Is that the case? Well, well, it's a bit like my dad. My dad was an alcoholic who didn't drink because he knew that if he started, he'd finish up like his father. So did did you enjoy it? No. No, in my case, uh, it was uh, used as an anaesthetic to hold down all those because I felt like a garbage tip as a child. Well, I'll just say, in your book, 50 Years Sober, An Alcoholic's Journey, I mean, there's your family history was incredibly tragic. I mean, there's a lot, we don't need to go into it now, but we can, I think, later on when we get you back and talk again on this program. But um, that's... The reason you're drinking, you say, is, is, is an anaesthetic, almost. Yes, and as I said earlier, if I hadn't have started drinking, I probably would have suicided by the time I was 17. Can you remember your last drink, then? Well, it, it turned out my last drink of alcohol was at the same place, at Maisie's, uh, which was near Melbourne High School, and my old schoolmasters uh, used to have a little alcove there, and I got deported back home to, a, to Australia late in 1969 and I'd rang up the Australian newspaper Collect to tell them this famous poet was coming home and I'd hardly written a note to the milkman and they sent a new reporter out and there was on the Monday there was a big article about me and the Australian and I went back to show my old school teachers what a huge success I'd made of my life but I got back on the piss. I king hit one of these masters that I that I admired, and I went to a friend's place called Ken Gooding, and uh, I'd been to an AA meeting the night before, and they'd written down a number, and Ken rang a, a long-term member called Mick from Sandringham, and he came and picked me up, and took me to an AA meeting on the Monday night at St Kilda where I met my sponsor in AA, who took me and a German bloke every night for three months. The German bloke blew his head off with a double-barrel shotgun, and I tried to kill myself yet again. And that's where Barry and I, Barry Humphreys and I, finished in the Delmont Hospital. We might just point out at this point that if uh, people are upset uh, by some of the things they're hearing, then Lifeline is always available at 13 11 14 is uh, the number to call 13 11 14 if you're if maybe some of this um is affecting you um Ross Fitzgerald's our guest and Dr Dr Nicole Lee as well um Alex says I stopped drinking alcohol in my mid 40s when I realized I was drinking and not remembering I thought if it's got that much of a hold of me, no more for me. Nicole, we also are getting texts from people saying, well, how do I know if I'm an alcoholic? How do people know? Look, in the kind of modern psychological um, thinking about drinking, it probably doesn't matter um, whether you call yourself an alcoholic or not uh, because we we think of it along a continuum. And if you're along that continuum, you're drinking – um, daily, that might be a time to have a, a look at 
um, you drinking or if it's impacting on uh, your life in significant ways. So, for example, you know, you, you're regularly not turning up for work on Monday morning because you've had a big weekend uh, and you've got a hangover and you've called in sick or you're arguing with your partner about you drinking or about other things um, more or um, you find that you once you start drinking, you can't uh, you can't stop or you, you're dropping the ball with um, social, um, with your friends and, and social events and um, not showing up. So even when it's starting to impact on your life in those kinds of ways, it's a good time to have, take, you know, take stock and have a look at um, your drinking and, and see if you want to make some changes. A couple of other text messages, and we've got about uh, six minutes. Actually, we might go to the phones. Go to Ben in Waverton. Uh, good day, Ben. Good day. How are you doing? Very well. Um, you want to talk about family history? Well, yeah, I, I was just interested to know what sort of if there's any research or numbers or um, on on uh, you know, I, my uh, half of my family comes from an Eastern European background, and and that's a you know, generally and historically a very heavy drinking culture, and and in my experience, our families, you know, we we don't. We don't drink excessively all the time, but there are certainly times where alcohol plays a big part in events that we do. And for some some people, it's fine. Some people have to, you know, I guess measure themselves. Um, my grandfather had um, problems with it, but in recent generations, it's not been such a problem. Is there? Is it? How does it work? Okay. Is, there, is there some evidence or? Okay, you know, Nicole. Say, any uh, thoughts on? Uh, hang on, hang on, Mike, yeah. uh, Ross. We'll get to you in a second, um, Nicole. Yeah, there is a strong family history um, with uh, with alcohol. Uh, we think that about sixty percent of passing on problem problem drinking is from genetics, but there's also a sizable proportion that is just from modelling. So we know that kids as young as six have have already formed attitudes about alcohol by watching their parents. So we know that um, both people. People that have alcohol problems run in their family have both um, possibly genetic um, influences, but also modelling influences. Right. Okay. Well, Ross, your grandfather drank alcoholically. Your, your father didn't did not drink, drink alcohol. You then drank it and then stopped. Yes, and uh, there's a clear genetic predisposition in my case, and it's also true that Celtic cultures have a much higher proportion of alcoholics than, say, Semitic cultures. Mm-hmm. And and it's in terms of alcohol and culture, it's a sign of just how pivotal alcohol is in our culture, that to drink means to drink alcohol. I'll often be at a party having my, you know, fifth soda water and someone will come up and say, what's the matter, don't you drink? And I say, what do you think I'm doing eating a sandwich? <laughs> What happens when you're around people who are drinking alcohol? I still don't like being around people who are drinking out of control because I fear they're going to behave like I used to. Well, one of our texters says, I wished I'd never had a drink. I wouldn't have made a fool of myself anywhere near as often. I wouldn't have spent as much of my social life laughing at nothing with the boys at the pub and I would have used the $100,000 or so much more productive purposes. That's Bob in Perth. And I'm guessing, Ross, you may not have been hundreds hundreds of thousands of dollars, but you might feel the same way as Bob. Yes, I mean, money, uh, I mean... As I said, I I thought I was a writer, but I didn't write a note to the milkman. 
But since I've stopped um, drinking, not for the first four years, I've just finished, just had published the 45th book that I've authored or co-authored. So... A a comedy called Pandemonium. Are you an addict in that regard? I mean, most... Is it the case that most alcoholics are addicted to other things as well? Without a doubt. And, uh, and, and a lot of alcoholics uh, have, have an addiction uh, to gambling or to sex or to work. And uh, Freud was right when he was asked, what's the secret of life? And he said, love and work. So I've been able to work as a writer uh, successfully. I mean, the books aren't war and peace, but they're there. <laughs> Nicole, just finally then, is is that good advice for someone who is giving up alcohol or is an alcoholic and wants to give up alcohol, is to find another outlet, something that's going to keep them busy in a way? Yeah, that's a really good strategy and a really successful strategy that um, people often use is to find something that they love that's incompatible with drinking. So a lot of people get into sport. Um, if you want to, if you want to excel at sport, then um, drinking heavily can't really be part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, th- but anything that um, will distract you or occupy your time um, that you can really get into can be really helpful. Okay, and one other texter says, look, are we going to list all these things on the website? Is there somewhere people can go to get a list of all the options if they are trying to give up drinking? Um, there's, not, there's not really, which would be a fantastic idea, but um, there's an organisation called the Alcohol and Drug Foundation and they have a lot of resources on their website um, that are pretty helpful. Um, if you hop on the Hello Sunday Morning website, there's um, there's a little kind of self help kits that can help you to um, provide some tips to help you kind of quit and right. or cut back. Um, yeah, so there's a there's a few places where you can go to to get some pretty good okay. information. Dr. Nicole Lee, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks so much, Rod. And Professor Ross Fitzgerald, I definitely want to have you back here to tell. Your incredible story, and we don't have enough time, we've only got about 30 seconds left, but you were there the first night that Barry Humphreys presented Les Patterson to the world. I was indeed. And what a night that must have been. What a night that was, yes. We want to talk about your friendship with uh, Barry Humphreys as well and your path to sobriety with him, but incredible stories tonight. Thank you so much for being with us. A pleasure, Rod. Professor Ross Fitzgerald, his latest book, Uh, is called My Last Drink, 32 Stories of Recovering Alcoholics. There's also 50 Years Sober and Alcoholics Journey, which is a lot of Barry Humphreys in that as well. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au slash nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.